Hello and welcome to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. My name is Charlotte, I'm Patient Advocacy Manager here at Leukemia Care. This month on the podcast, we've got exciting news. Bailey Patrick was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia when he was four. He's since gone on to be an actor, starring in shows like EastEnders and Bridgerton. We're really pleased to say that Bailey is our new celebrity ambassador. I chatted to him about how his diagnosis as a child led him to be where he is today. And if you're a fan of Bridgerton, do listen on. He does tell us a bit about his role in the next season. Really great to have you, Bailey. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Good to see you. So Bailey's just joined us as our latest ambassador, but also has some personal experience of leukemia, which we're going to touch on first. So Bailey, could you tell us just a little bit about um, how you came to be diagnosed with leukemia and and when that happened? Yeah, of course. I'm 35 years old now, so I was diagnosed when I was four. So a long time ago, uh, 1991, December 91, I was on holiday with my nan and my mum in Tunisia and I was feeling very poorly. I can remember just being really swollen in my face, really, really swollen, being very tired and achy. I wasn't eating much, which is, you know, not like me at all because I love my food, as you can tell. And yeah, my mum thought there was something up with me, so she took me to the doctor. And um, the doctor said that I needed to be rushed home back to London to, to be seen. And he thought that I had leukemia. So we, we got a flight back and I was rushed straight into an ambulance and taken to St. Bart's. Uh, where I had all my treatment. And I was diagnosed with uh, acute lymphoblastic uh, leukemia. And that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the, the beginning of it all. And it was, it, I can still kind of remember it now. I've just sort of got a really vague memory of that holiday, starting off really well and having a great time with, with my mum and my nan and, and uh, it just sort of trailing off. And I can still remember going into the doctors and I think I had an injection in my bum, which is the only time I've ever had an injection in my bum. And there's a reason for that. It hurt so much. And I can just remember being really panicked and seeing the fear in my mum's mum's face. But um, yeah, they were really quick in sort of rushing me to get back. And, and uh, yeah, we went to St. Bart's and, and that's where it all began, really. Do you think your, your mum and your nan knew anything about leukaemia? Did they know what, do you think they knew what was wrong with you? Or were they just panicking that it was something pretty serious? I think that at that time, you know, this is before social media and, and technology really I think that they were kind of blind to it really there wasn't you know as far as I know you know the, the, the types of treatments that are available now weren't around um, and the type of awareness that, that you guys promote and that other people promote wasn't around in those, in those days so I, I think they were just you know they knew that there was something badly wrong with me I was always sort of a happy-go-lucky kid and always running about and playing and I think that stopped I wanted to spend a lot of time in the pool I'm a huge like swimming fan, I love swimming. That's always been something, uh, one of my passions. And I think that kind of stemmed from wanting to cool down because my temperature was through the roof and my, my bones were aching and everything was aching. And the only sort of uh, peace I got from that was being in the pool. So I think they were kind of, they were aware that there was something going on, you know, that was really bad. And, you know, bless them, they, they got me back as soon as they could to, to find out what it was. But yeah, I don't think they were, they were aware at all of um, how serious it could have been. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's not surprising. I think it don't, you don't expect a type of cancer in a child, do you? It, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. rare. That's it. Yeah. Do you remember much after what happened when you, when you got back to, to London and you were in Barts? Do you remember sort of what sort of treatment you had or is that time a bit of a, a blur? Some bits that are really vivid. There's some bits that I can really remember. Like I can remember like tastes of medicines and, and bits and pieces. I had a Hick, Hickman line, um, which I still have the scar from just here, which 
now I've still got it now. When I look at it now, it's about this bit. It's tiny. It's absolutely tiny because I was only small. So it, I mean, I had no chance with it now. But I can still remember having that in and being really aware of of not knocking it and having dressings done on it and having my fluids through there and, and the butterfly needles and. Yeah, I've got some really vivid memories from it. I think I was on uh, Udanzatron. I think it was a study that they were doing, that they were doing a research study, and I was having lumbar punches a couple of times a week, which I remember hate, you know, being absolutely petrified about. And I think I woke up in the middle of one month uh, for some reason. I, that always stick with me. I can remember all the doctors sort of standing over me and uh, trying to sedate me again. And yeah, it, it's, it, there's little bits and pieces that I can remember, but it, it, you know, it's. Over the years, obviously, growing up, I've kind of blocked it out because it was such a trauma. And I think over the years, as I get older, there's little bits and pieces sort of trickle, trickle back in. What I do remember is the incredible doctors and nurses that were just, they were, they were like angels, you know. They, they, they were there for my mum and my nan and my family. They, they all worked so hard, as, as they all do now. But um, they were just, they were amazing. They were like my second family because I spent so much time in hospital. They made sure that I was comfortable at all times. They, they were, if I wanted to play, I was a bit of a, I understand now why I've become an actor because I used to run around on the wall as much as possible with my drip next to me and I'd paint my, my bedpan black and do Michael Jackson impressions running about and trying to make the other kids laugh. So yeah, I was bound to do what I do now for a living. But they'd join in with me and, and play with me and you know they did their best to, to make sure that everyone was happy and comfortable as they could be. And that, that includes the parents as well. I think my mum's still in contact with lots of the parents um, of the children I was on the ward with and they grew an incredible bond together and obviously they spent lots of late nights together making uh, macaroni cheese was, was one of my things that I could eat. That was the only thing I could eat because I had so many uh, blisters and mm. uh, sores in my mouth. All I could have was macaroni cheese but then because I had no taste buds, I'd insist that it was covered in vinegar which is an absolutely awful uh, dish, which I still like now as well, which is weird. That's terrible, isn't it? That's uh, horrible. <laughs> bad, bad date meal, isn't it? But it was just because then I could get some flavour and I could taste yeah. stuff. And bless my mum, she'd be up all night making these huge pots of macaroni and cheese. And I think the bigger they got, the, the less uh, appetising they became to me and I stopped, I stopped enjoying them. So she made all these big batches. So she'd give them out to all the parents um, to enjoy. And, and they were a great support for each other. And um, I'm still in touch with a lot of them as well now. And, you know, they're amazing people. And, you know, we all share, share such a, a traumatic experience. But the yeah, people just did, you know, they were amazing. People, I look back now and I just think I was so lucky to have my mum and my grand there and the rest of my family. But um, the doctors and nurses are just, they're incredible. And, uh, you know, I owe everything to them. Absolutely. You've sort of touched on that your mum and I got a lot of support from the, the, the doctors and nurses, but did they yeah. experience any sort of financial strain on, on looking after you? Because it's something we hear a lot from parents um, of looking after the human patients. They can't go to work because they have to be in the hospital. Is that something your mum and nan had to experience or was it not a problem for them? Yeah, so, so my dad um, was from South Africa and he, he, he wasn't around uh, at that time. He passed away. So uh, he, he wasn't around to support my mum or my nan. Um, we lived in a council council estate um, in, a, in a huge flat uh, in Peckham. It was, yeah, it was difficult. I think my mum was, was uh, doing teacher training at the time. Uh, my nan didn't have a penny to her name. So it was a huge strain. It was a huge strain on, on my family. I, I actually, looking back now, I don't actually understand how she managed to, you know, to juggle both because she it felt to me that she was by my side the whole time. I was never on my own. She's an incredible woman. She's, she's my hero. My mum and my nan was as well. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be anything without them both. 
but it, I, I, yeah, I've no idea how how they got through. And you know, it's not something I've actually sat down and spoke to her about really. But she, it's just kind of it would probably kind of take away the magic of her being a parent and just being able to make sure everything was was looked after and, and taken care of. She never let me feel that there was there was panic or worry or, or strain on anything. But I'm sure that it must have been incredibly difficult. I think a lot of her colleagues. Um, I did charity work and raised money to help her with with bits and pieces. I'm I'm sure, um, and I think to, to to try and get on the ladder for uh, for our first property, I think they they all chipped together to get her a deposit to help us get our own house. Which you know I'm eternally grateful for that. That really helped us out, and um, I think that got us out of a you know a really tight spot. So so her friends and, and you know and our family all sort of whipped together. But I think if you know if you don't have that support network around you all your circumstances are different then I can't even imagine, you know, what it must be like, but I feel like I was extremely lucky that people helped us out. So, you know, very grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, ideal world, everybody, every parent will be able to sit as then have that, you know, experience that you described where they never have to leave their child. So, yeah. and it's really nice to hear that, that your whole community sort of rally around your mum. I think that's a really lovely, lovely thing yeah. to hear. Yeah. How would you say that whole time has impacted you like up to now? It like some people say it changed their entire worldview and some people say it just made them live for every day and didn't do that. I mean how does how was it for you going through such a traumatic experience? Because it happened so early on in my life, it was it, I think that it it's definitely shaped me. It's definitely shaped me. I started school quite late. I was like a year behind everyone at school. I didn't have any hair. I was very skinny and 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 shy. I, you know, I was really nervous, you know, to speak to anyone. It really did knock my confidence. And um, my mum used to try and get me involved with as many sports as, as possible to be confident in my body and to and to try and sort of bring me out of myself and be sociable and 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 mix with other kids. And that's how I kind of grew my confidence. I think as a, as a child, I played a lot of football. I loved football and swimming. I was obsessed with. So I'd go swimming every day and you know. Uh, sort of swimming to a really high level and, and going to clubs and the same with football. And I kind of built my confidence slowly through that. But I was very, very shy as a, as a child. But I'd always try and... Uh, I used to love having fun and having a little little giggle with my mum and my nan. They were, they've always been um, sort of instrumental in making me sort of be a bit of a performer. But it took me a long time to build up my confidence to be able to even think about doing what I do now for a living. That, that didn't come into play till very late. And I think, yeah... You know, over the years, I've, I've always, in the back of my mind, I've always thought about the people that, that I was on the ward with that didn't make it or, you know, people that have been quite introverts since they've had their treatment and, you know, they've, they've not been able to, to do what they want to do. Um, so I do think I've been quite harsh on myself in the sense of I've always wanted to achieve things for other people that, um, you know, haven't had the opportunities that I've had since, you know, the treatment. And uh, I always, always count myself as extremely lucky. And as I've got older, it, it is a fact of, you know, I'm extremely privileged to, to be around and to be healthy and happy. Um, I've got two, I've got twin girls on the way, which I'm absolutely buzzing about. So I'm going to become a parent and um, I've got, a, a, you know, an amazing partner and family and, and friends around me. So I'm extremely grateful for that. And I, there's never a day that goes past now that, you know, that I don't appreciate every single moment and I'll try and, I try and squeeze the lemon as hard as possible to get all the juice out of it and, and really enjoy myself. But it's taken a long time to, to um, really find myself and find my confidence, which I think I've kind of got hold of now. But, but yeah, early years, 
being mixed race as well in, in, a, in a place that was predominantly white when I was younger and, and I came from quite a poor background. It was very difficult. I didn't have any brothers or sisters and then the leukemia on top of it made me feel really alien to everyone. So I, I, felt, I felt really alone. Not the fact, you know, not through any of, you know, the things that my mum or my nan did. They, they were amazing and all my family, they loved and supported me all the time. But going to school and, and being in social environments, I really felt really different. Um, and it's only been in the, in the, you know, in my later years where I've just seen it as a power and how, you know, how I've been able to build myself from not being confident and, you know, being worried about my treatment holding me back and everything that I've really just, you know, got hold of myself and gone, you know what, you, you're so lucky to be around. You need to do this not just for yourself, but for everyone that, that suffered from it or is suffering. And, um, you know, hopefully show people that you can, you can have a great life, you know, after treatment. And is that what's driven the decision for you to become an ambassador for us? Definitely, 100%. Like I say, I feel extremely lucky to be able to be in a position that I'm in and to have a platform that I can be able to um, reach out to people that either you know, follow my career or watch my shows and you know, get the message across to those people that you might normally not be able to reach. I feel that like, you know, I'm obliged to, to do it and, and you know, it's, a, it's an absolute privilege to be able to be part of the team and hopefully you know, we can help raise awareness and, and change some people's lives and, and, and show people that, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. This is the beginning rather than the end. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to trying to achieve? Is there like one thing that you really want to change for people? I don't know. I think that's quite, a, I don't know. I'm not too sure. It's, I, I just, all I want to do, all I can, can strive to do is to be able to, to make as many people aware as possible of the symptoms and, you know, how, what they can do and how they can get help. If I can raise a ton of money to be able to put towards the charity, it'd be amazing. If I can have fun doing it, that'd be even better. If I can put myself through ridiculous pain, like I know there was a suggestion of a, of a half marathon that I think that Zach suggested, which I think I've said yes to, but I'm slightly <laughs> regretting now, considering I went out for a little jog the other day and I was in bits. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd just love to be involved as, as much as I can and, and um, yeah, and use my platform you know, to, the, to the best of my ability. I think it's... Um, it's my duty to do that, and it would, uh, I'm sure it made the four-year-old me very happy to, to, to be in a position to do that. Yeah, and we're really grateful for it too. And um, I also signed myself up for the marathon last year, and I did manage to finish. I walked, but I managed to finish it. So oh, congratulations. I think, well yeah, done. Be brave is I what think, I'd say. It's, it's, yeah, it's all right on the day. <laughs> I might get a cab round now. I'll take a couple of quid and I could get a cab round. That, just, yeah, that's still not? finishing it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why not? Why not? So we've already touched a little bit on sort of how you came into acting um, in terms of you were shy to start with and obviously now you're in a completely different position. But did you go to like a particular class or something that really went, this is the career for me? What what made you make it into a career? Like I said, my, my, my nan and, and my mum have always been obsessed with uh, films, TV, theatre. Um, so I was exposed to that as a, as a young kid. And I think that when we were going through all the tough times, our thing that we do as a family was always watch watch films or if, if we were fortunate enough to someone would donate us tickets or Bart's often did the Christmas show um, they'd take us off to go and see a show and stuff I was always at the front row just completely glued to the screen that was always my thing and I'd, we where I grew up was uh, on Danny Street Market there was obviously there's market every day so I'd always see all these different characters and, and I'd, I'd come back home and I'd, I'd get my nan to, and my mum to pretend to be buying stuff out of the shop and uh, I always had a really sort of vivid uh, imagination. And I used to have this box that sort of opened up like this. And I remember I used to charge some buttons to get bits and pieces. And once my mum said, 
She said, oh, can I have um, can I have six eggs, please? And I turned around to the bottom of the box. I said, Maureen, have we got any eggs down there? And she said, not only have you set up this shop, but you've got a woman called Maureen down the bottom working for you. Your imagination is crazy. And, and she said that from that moment, she knew I was going to do something along those lines. I never had any idea that I was going to do that. I didn't, because of my confidence thing, I think she took me to, to a workshop once in the West End and we all went around the circle and all the kids had to, to pretend they were a different animal or a tree and stuff like that. And before it got to me, I ran to the toilets and I hid and I was just sitting there shaking. I was so, so scared to, like, to, to come out of my shell and, and pretend to be something in front of everyone else. I was petrified. Um, so it was never really my thing. And, and like I said, as I got older, I did more sports and I used to have a laugh with everyone and, and joke around. I did impressions and stuff. When I got to college, we were in the sixth form, the, the common room, and I was doing impressions of teachers and there was loads of people in there and I was in there for about half an hour just making everyone laugh. And the teacher came in and watched me doing it and then said, you know, right, everyone back to class and why don't you go to drama school? And I was like, oh, what's drama school? Maybe that would be something for me. So I went up to uh, Salford University to do to the media performance course and I did one play and that was it. I just hit with a bug, absolutely hit with a bug. They managed to write to RADA um, to, for me to do a short course down at RADA. I had no idea what it was. I went there for a couple of weeks in the summer and then they got me to do a foundation course there where I was completely out of my depth. It was, um, you know, a, a hugely prestigious school full of people that I would never normally mix with. And I felt really, uh, that sort of set me back a lot. That, that took me back to feeling like I was alien again, you know, because of a working class boy going, you know, being around sons and daughters of directors and famous actors. So I really sort of went back into my shell and I had to take a little bit of time to figure out whether it was what I wanted to do because you're not my confidence again. And I kind of felt like I was back to square one. But then I found uh, an incredible uh, drama school called Rose Bruford College, which is in Sidcup. And they had beautiful grounds, everything was brand new. And the teachers and everyone, the whole feel of it was incredible. And they really embraced me for me and, and helped me grow. And, you know, through acting, I've been able to uh, really learn about myself and take myself out of my comfort zone and grow as a person. So I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to, to, to my career. It's, um, and to the people that have helped me, helped me build it. It's kind of, it's a weird, really weird career choice, but it's so enriching. You meet so many incredible people that all have different stories and backgrounds. And, you know, you're constantly reading stories and, and exploring different characters. And that teaches you a lot about yourself, I think. So, um, it's, it's an amazing career. I'm very lucky to be able to do it for a living. But it, it's definitely helped me conquer a lot of my fears and, and brought me out of my shell. Yeah. It's very interesting what you say about going to RADA and finding it not for you and then going somewhere else. Is that something yeah. you'd maybe get more people to consider? Like, don't focus on the famous stuff and the, you know, the well-known places and to, to try other things as well, if someone was thinking about maybe going into acting? I think, yeah, I think for me, that was, a, you know, that's, that's my own personal um, story that that was for me it, it felt very alien to me it might not it might not to other people but I definitely think that there's something in I think with drama schools you definitely have to find the, the place that gives you the right feeling it's just like if you're going you know if you go into a house you know you go if you're, if you're house hunting you walk into a house and you think oh I like this it's got a nice energy if you walk into a room full of people you can tell whether you're going to get on with them or not there's, there's that kind of feel and I think for me that didn't really work out from the start there so that's not to say it's not an incredible score. Of course it is. But I feel personally for acting, you need to feel comfortable. At the beginning, you need to be in a position where you're very comfortable so you can be vulnerable and you can, you know, you can feel free to grow and, and try new things. And, you know, maybe it's because of the way I, I, I was brought up or, you know, the environment I was brought up in that didn't feel comfortable. 
for me. And I don't think a lot of the teachers really knew, you know, my kind of my background and knew how to deal with someone from my background. You know, most people from where I'm from would either get involved with crime or be footballers or they'd be, you know, uh, working the building trade, which are all, you know, apart from the criminal bit, they're all viable <laughs> jobs, you know, that you can you can go into. And I was I was never able to go home from RADA and go to my mates and be like, oh, I've been an octopus for the day. What have you been doing? You know, that, that, it, it just didn't, it didn't work out. Whereas when I went to Rose Bruford, there were, there were people from all different classes and backgrounds and cultures that we kind of understood me and got me more. And we, we, can, we helped each other grow and we supported each other. So it was, it was easier for me to be there. So I definitely think it's about researching different places. But yeah, look at, obviously look at, look at the, you know, the school and, and their background, but go there and as much as you can, if you go and see the shows, see what students are like, you know, go and see the buildings, get familiarised with where you're going to go to first. And, and don't, yeah, it's not, it's not about the school. It's about, it's about yourself and where you're going to be comfortable to learn. Because, you know, there comes a point when you graduate and you leave and it's nothing to do. The teachers aren't there to help you mm. and the school's not there to help you. And I don't think it's a case of, I think years ago, it was always a case of the neighbour school's name that would get you, you know, into certain rooms. But it's, it's, that's not the case at all anymore. It's, it's your talent. And some people don't even go to drama school and, and you know, they're amazing. They, they become big stars or, or brilliant at what they do. So it, it's, it's not necessarily the path you have to go down, but whatever you do, you have to feel comfortable in it. Definitely. It's good to hear that it's not always the name anymore. It's always no, definitely. Um, yeah. It was a positive thing. What are you planning to achieve this year? Does it include free-falling from 15,000 feet? Maybe flying on a zip wire is more your thing? Join Team LC this year, raising vital funds, as well as your pulse rate. We'll support you all the way in raising the money. The question is, are you brave enough to take on the challenge? Simply search online for Leukemia Care Zipwire or Leukemia Care Skydive to find out more. Obviously, you've had a few parts that are relatively well-known. Um, is there a particular <laughs> role that... That's been your favourite so far. Before I grill you on particular ones, <laughs> a particular role. Um, I don't know. It's really difficult. It's really difficult because you spend a lot, lot of time doing these roles. You kind of grow to love them individually as their own, you know, separate beasts. I've been lucky. Yeah, I've been really lucky to be able to play some some brilliant, sort of varied roles. It's really that's really tough. I suppose I'll, I'll play the recurring character of um, Detective Constable Rob Brady in London Kills, which is which is great fun. As a kid, I always I was obsessed with the bill because it was filmed near where I grew up. So I'd see them filming. And I always used to be so intrigued and uh, you know watch them watch them filming and all the chase scenes and stuff. And a couple of my mates sometimes if we were playing football next to next to them, they get them in for extras and stuff. And I was petrified. I couldn't get involved. I was like, no, that's not for me. And yeah, I was always, I just wanted to be in the bill, uh, even though I wasn't acting. And then, so uh, when I got offered the part of Rob Brady, it was amazing because Paul Marcus, who, who is the uh, creator of the show and executive producer, he, um, he used to work on the bill as well. So I kind of felt like it was, that was, it, it was meant to be. And uh, that was my, that's my version of the bill. And that's great fun because we get to uh, interview everyone and chase people and we've got the flash cars and the nice clothes and, it's so far removed away from me and growing up, especially growing up, my background. Um, I didn't ever think I'd be playing a copper, but it, it's, that's great fun to do. And yeah, he's, he's, he's completely different to me. It's completely different. A lot of people, when they beat me in the street, they, they think I'm going to be like, he's quite stern, quite hard faced. And then people meet me and they're like, oh, actually, you're quite a softie, aren't you? It was softie. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. It's just acting. But he's great. He's great, to, um, he's great to play. And recently we had about a three or four year gap between 
season two and season three, which we just finished filming. And uh, obviously because of COVID, uh, it got put back a lot. And the show's made for AMC and Apen TV for America, and it was bought by the BBC over here. So uh, it was shown out there first. And I can remember going up to LA and, and people being absolutely obsessed with it. The Americans were absolutely loving it. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I'm from Council Estate on Wharf Road, you know, and I'm in Santa Monica and people are stopping me in the street and loving it. So I definitely feel like that's, that's been a, an incredible, you know, change from my career. And uh, it's just great fun putting, putting the jacket back again on again, you know, after three years of filming, being my trailer, I put my jacket on again. I was like, oh, it feels like home. It's so lovely to put this on. I can feel the character again. And we get so many amazing guests in and the, the crew are incredible. The cameramen, everyone. We, we shoot an episode a week doing that show, which normally you'd spend about two, three weeks on an episode. So it's a really quick turnaround. We're learning like 10, 11 pages a day, which is a lot. Um, we have long days and, you know, it's hard, but it's so much fun. It's really, you know, if you can do that, you can do any job. Because going on to other jobs, we don't stop to do lighting. A lot of, you know, shows have big lights and, and that, that takes a lot of time to set up. We don't do that. We, we sort of, we've got uh, cameramen that are, are brilliant. They do, you know, more work than us. They're running about chasing us and they're doing drone shots and steady cams and gimbals and stuff. And uh, they love it as well. We, we're a big family. So it's a great thing to do. So I'd probably say Rob Brady. Definitely. It, and I don't think you're the, you can't be the first person to be inspired to either be a policeman or to act as a policeman by the bill. I think it's just a, it's a classic, <laughs> isn't it? I remember when you that was me on. You've done the walk at the end. You know, I remember the walk at the end. I think everyone has done that. Everyone's. So my partner did that the other day. It was on the classic, classic version that Bill was on the other day, and she she came in the living room doing the walk. <laughs> Perfect timing. I think everyone's done that in their life. <laughs> so we talked about the the Bill as a classic, but another classic that you have been in is EastEnders, which I think is yeah. probably one of the most well known TV shows going. How did it feel to be a part of that big thing, if you like? Wow, yeah, EastEnders is, is amazing. Do you know what? That, I think I did that in like 2016, 17, and people still talk about my character now, which is a huge compliment. Yeah. I was in the bank the other day and I was doing some stuff in the bank and the boat was like, I knew that guy from EastEnders. I'm sure you're that guy from EastEnders. It's, it's, that's an absolute, you know, it's just lovely for people to still remember him. I, I think he was a great character to play. To play. I played Mike Rendon in that, who's a, a drug dealer chasing up Jay for money. That was incredible to do. Um, obviously, again, growing up, for years and years, my nan was obsessed with it. We used to watch EastEnders all the time. It was a huge thing back in the day. I don't think it's as popular now. It's not to say it's not as good, but it, it, it was a huge, you know, staple of, of TV for when I was younger. So I never, ever thought I'd end up in it. Never, ever thought I'd end up in it. And when the, the opportunity came, I think I had the audition um, the same day that I was supposed to be best man for one of my friends and I had to be late for it. So I went up to Elstree and I did it and... But the character just seemed to just fit perfectly. I knew that character from growing up. I knew I could, uh, you know, straight away I could wear him like a glove. And it was amazing. But, you know, the first, the first day I went in, I can remember sitting outside and uh, Danny Dyer was there. And he was like, you all right, boy, how are you getting on? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good, thanks, mate. He was like, you playing it? And uh, I'll do it. It, just felt, it just felt like home. They're, they're an absolutely lovely bunch there. They have great fun. And when I went out onto the lot, because they have a studio on the lot, and, and, which is the square, it was crazy because... You're so familiar with it mm. from watching it for years and years, and you kind of look up and go, "Oh, that's the Vic where Bradley jumped off, and you know that's the shot. Uh, Phil got shot there, and it was it was amazing. It was it was a it was a whirlwind for me. It was it's one of my first big TV jobs. And John Greening, who's the director there, is actually incredible man. He was um, he was brilliant in making me feel comfortable because you do feel a huge weight of responsibility. But you know, it's, it's a big show, like you said, so many people watch it, and you know all the characters that are coming in. 
it's really difficult not to call the actors by their character name. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, they were great. Everyone was really welcoming. And we did a scene and, and uh, John came up to me after and he said, I'll come and have a look at this. And I was lucky enough to go and see um, a little clip that had been edited in the editing suite, which I don't think they normally do with people. And he said, oh, this is going to be going out to 8.5 million people and you got the doof doof at the end for my first episode. And I was, uh, I, I think I could have walked home <laughs> from Boreham Woods back to South London because I was just absolutely buzzing. And yeah, yeah, watching it, you know, being able to watch it with all my friends, everyone, I think that that was the first time that, you know, for years and years coming out of drama school, I didn't get a lot of work at all. I got little bit parts that get cut. And, you know, I wasn't really making any money off it. That was the first time that everyone that I knew could enjoy me being on TV and, and they felt part of it. All the support that they've given me for over the years, they felt part of it and they'd be ringing me up and their mums would be ringing me up. And I think still to this day, there's this real sort of joy that I was, I, I did it. And, um, it's a great show and yeah, I love being part of it and I'm, I'm very grateful that I got to be part of it. Yeah. yeah. No pressure with the, the Duff Duff on your first episode. <laughs> that sounds really good. Oh, no, exactly. <laughs> I was just, oh, brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll get told off if I don't ask about Bridgerton, but I did want to ask before yeah. we start talking about that, um, about yeah. um, like whether you had a, a dream job or like an ultimate goal for your career is there like one thing like I don't know is it James Bond maybe or something like that <laughs> my makeup artist says that to me every time she's like you're gonna be the next James Bond I personally I like playing um I like playing really gritty and sort of evil darker characters they're really good fun because again they're, they're kind of so far removed they're really fun to get into I like exploring that side because you know I don't do that in everyday life luckily but I'd really love to play a Bond villain I'd really love to play a Bond villain. That would be that would be the ultimate character for me. I think Bond villain would be amazing. So yeah, if you can make that happen, anyone watching, you know, I wish I had the contact. <laughs> so yeah, that would that would be my goal really. But you know, to be fair, I've, I've, like I said, I've been lucky to play a variety of different characters, and I think that um, you know, as uh, as my career goes on, I think that's going to you know keep happening, and I'm very fortunate that that I'll get these offers and, and I'm working towards, you know, getting other jobs and different things. So it's, it's yeah, playing, playing a, a villain is always fun. So, yeah, anyone who wants to play a villain, I'm, I'm readily available. <laughs> and surely the villain must also be up for up for recruiting if Bond is. So. There you go. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks, Charlotte. <laughs> I found the webinars really interesting, again, because I think of the lack of information you're given during treatment and if you are given information often at the time it just it's just in one ear out the other so at the time I think I didn't really take in a lot of the information and my husband did and so after treatment I actually went back to your YouTube channel and watched a lot of your webinars most recently there was one on acute lymphoblastic leukemia which I found really useful leukemia cares informational webinars are about the topics that matter to you whether that be the current news in covid the latest developments in treatment, and much more. You can hear from patients and healthcare professionals alike, providing insight on all things leukaemia. Watching it live even lets you post questions directly to those panels. Find out when our next webinar is scheduled by heading on over to our social media or our website, or to watch those you've already missed, check out our YouTube channel. So um, let's chat a little bit about Bridgerton then, because um, yeah. it's the one thing that everybody has been asking me about since they heard you <laughs> in the office. With, um, so uh-huh. the big chat. I mean, it's called a period drama, but it's not really the classic yeah. period drama. What made you want to get involved with it when you sort of read read about it? 
Well, so uh, being at drama school, obviously we, we studied Shakespeare and uh, I had I had no idea about Shakespeare growing up and it was just so, you know, something that I just I didn't ever think I'd be getting into and I fell in love with Shakespeare and I did a lot of stuff um, working with Globe Education uh, for American students coming in and I'd, I'd get up and do do something called Research in Action. So we'd put on little, little bits of different plays together with them, uh, amazing um, Shakespearean actors. They're a lot older than me that have been in the game and done lots of stuff at the RSC. So I learned loads there and, and I've always had this sort of urge to be like to, to do a, a period play and never really got the opportunity to do anything like that. And then I did I did Othello at the Globe as just a really small part and I didn't have any lines or anything. It's like supernumerary. And I watched all these incredible actors again and I was like, I really want to do this. And in 2014, I went, or 15, I think, I went over to Toronto in Canada and I did a play called Our Country's Good. And I was a uh, I was an understudy. And unfortunately, one of the main cast got ill. So I had literally a day to literally just, we rehearsed in the bar and I was on the next day in front of, thousands of people in this huge theatre in Toronto and we had period costumes and I loved it. It was brilliant. It was just, just there's something about it. It, it, it. You just, again, I think it's because you're so far removed from what you'd normally wear and there's this sort of regality to it. It was, you know, it was great fun. So after that, I didn't really, I've never really got anything after that that was, that was set in sort of period, uh, period drama. And there's been so many amazing things on TV that I thought, well, I'd like to do, I'd like to do that. And then lockdown happened and people kept on talking about this thing, Bridget. And I was like, what is it? What is it? What? And people were like, oh, it's not like a normal period drama. It's not. A... And I was like, what is it? We're going to have to watch this thing. So we got we worked our way through all these different TV programs and we got to Bridget and we literally binged it. My partner and I, we just binged it in one sitting. Loved it. And I think it finished up with about one, two in the morning. Didn't have anything to get up for the next day. And I was like, oh my God, I want to be in this. I want to be part of this show. This show is so exciting. And it's incredible because... Like you say, it's not like any other period show. There's there's remixes of the music, you know, they're playing classical instruments with, with, with present day music. It's sexy, it's funny. You know, it's incredible. It's an incredible show. It's an incredible show, and I, I, I was, you know, I was dreaming to be part of it. And yeah, I'd, and also, you know, what Shonda Rhimes has done beautifully is being able to um, to set up, you know, to make a period piece with a hugely diverse cast, which you know, I think people are trying to push for nowadays, but it's still, there's a really, really long way to go. And she's been incredible in setting up this, this incredible um, atmosphere. When I, when I was fortunate enough to be on set, every single person that was there was so happy and relaxed, and which that does not happen on set normally. People are stressed out. And that you know they're they're sleep deprived, and you know they offer all these things, these talks, and on on bullying, on safety, on you know on all these. In- I was just like when I got all the information set for, I was just like, this is like the dream job. Like it's absolutely not only is it amazing on screen, but backstage, the whole team were incredible. The directors, the you know the cameramen and women, like everyone. And, you know, it's literally, even to this day, I just think that that is, that's one of my favourite jobs I've ever done in, as a whole. And, yeah, I wanted to be part of it and, and sort of didn't think anything of it, didn't know there was going to be a scene too. And then my agent got in touch with me and, and she said, oh, you've got this audition for this, you know, this part for Waterloo. It's called Waterloo. And I was like, what, what's Waterloo? I was like, Waterloo Road or what, what? And she was like, no, it's called Waterloo. It's a new, new drama. And I had probably about two lines to say in this thing. And I, and we, I was doing a self-tape because it was still COVID, so we couldn't 
meet you know in real life and uh, I did the audition I just didn't really think, really think anything of it at the time there was a couple of bits and pieces that I was auditioning for that you know I was learning four or five pages so I, I, we did it and recorded it and sent it off and didn't think anything of it and uh, I think I was painting the flat at the time literally out of nowhere uh, my agent called up she said oh yeah um, you've, you've got Waterloo and I was like oh brilliant and she was like yeah so you'll be starting Bridgerton in and I was like what? <laughs> I mean, and so, it, yeah, literally, it was an absolute, it came out of the blue, came out of the blue, and um, and then I sort of figured everything out, everything started to make sense, and went in to get my costume fitted, and they gave me this incredible, you know, they shaved all my, my beard off and gave me these incredible sideburns, and this, the costume was, like, amazing. It's the first time I've had to actually be dressed by a costume supervisor, because normally my, my characters are in, you know, they're in uh, sort of everyday clothes and contemporary clothing, which is easy to put on. Trying to put on period costume is very difficult. And it's also very difficult to go to the bathroom if you need to, just before you take, you know, you go, you're going to shoot your scenes yeah. and uh, you're in a hurry. Let's put it that way. That was very funny doing that. But yeah, they, they were incredible. And it was it's just been an incredible job to be part of. And my character, I'm, I'm playing the printer, the Prince Lady Whistle Dance memoirs and uh, magazine. And there's not really a lot I can say about, you know, about it because not only have I been sworn to secrecy, but they don't really give you a, a gist of really a lot that's going on apart from your set, mm. which is a very clever ploy to not make you leak anything. I think there's, there's loads of shows that we do and, and in most jobs we've acting, you, you could even, you get a job and you can't say anything about it for months. I had that with EastEnders when I got EastEnders. I couldn't even tell my mate that I was late to be a best man for that I got EastEnders for about three months. Yeah, I couldn't say anything. So you get really good at being able to hold the secrets, you know, and, and hold it down. But um, yeah, it's it's been, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to watch it, and it, it, it's what an experience. It's, it's incredible. The, the film set was just unbelievable, out of this world. So like, you, like I've never ever seen anything like it. But it was great fun to do. Really, really good fun. Yeah, it sounds like it definitely. I want to go back to that diversity point. Did that, and you said you watched Bridgerton before you knew there was a season two to get involved with, but was it a major factor in you like getting getting on board? Do you think once, once the <laughs> once your agent told you it was Bridgerton, you were like, oh, okay, and then you remembered the diversity part of it, or did you sort of forget about that bit? For everyone that watched Bridgerton for the first time, it's so refreshing to watch. It stuck with everyone. There's a reason that everyone loved it. It's because it's amazing in every single way. And it's, it, it's a game changer, really. I think it's a game changer because it's shown people, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what, you know, what culture or background you're from or skin colour. or it's, a, it's just about making something really good. So that stuck with me. So that was, that was always, I, I, I want to be involved with things like that. It's like London Kills as well. The characters I play in London Kills originally, I think, was probably written for, for a white male. And... Uh, lots of the people that I was sitting next to in a room when I did my first audition, I think, were completely different to me. Let's put it that way. And uh, the casting director, Jane Ripley, at the time, so she, she gave me, she said, I've met Bailey once to the director because I'm good friends with director Craig. And she said, I've met Bailey once and he's completely different to everyone else who's coming into this, but give him a chance. Definitely, he's going to be the, he's, he's the one for you. And, you know, and also Tori Allen Martin that plays Billy, she's uh, mixed race as well, the same as, as me. And there's not a lot of, you know, there's there's not been that many opportunities for mixed race actors to, you know, to be involved in primetime TV or dramas and, and things. There's a huge push now definitely for, for black people. And 
I think there's still a long way to go to open it up for everyone. It'd be a mixed race. You kind of a little bit get left out a little slightly, which, you know, it's not a bad thing, but, uh, you know, to push diversity, but you have to, I think you have to spread it across all, you know, all cultures and backgrounds. There's lots of people that are being left out, but I think with Bridgerton, that was the first time we kind of just saw this beautiful coming together of everyone and sort of celebrating, you know, every culture around and I think this season two does that as well there's, there's new you know there's new characters that come in from you know that you wouldn't sort of necessarily put within a period period drama but wow I mean you, you can see how how much of an effect it has on everyone and how amazing it is so yeah London Kills gave me an opportunity to be able to do that and I'm very grateful to for them to, to have given me the chance to be able to show that it's not really about colour or background or anything like that it's about making something that's good and Bridgerton there's a huge celebration of that. And yeah, I feel really, really grateful, like I said, to, to be part of it. And it just, it's just one of those things that, you know, I reckon they could make so many seasons of this show because no one's ever going to get bored of it. It's, it's so exciting, so fresh, and it's lovely to see something like that on TV and, and, and to see it do so well worldwide as well. So, yeah. I think I'm keen to talk about diversity a bit more because it's something we need to work on in the blood cancer space as well, which would be really great to chat to you more about. You know, yeah. there's problems with the the stem cell donation register and the number of people from different ethnicities on that. So um, I yeah. think it's just something really important we have to consider in in every aspect of our lives. I think 100. percent And hopefully, you know, if you know, there's people watching this that you know that it could influence them to go and go and be able to to be donors and to get involved and and become aware. You know, if I can help do that, that'd be brilliant. I've just been thinking about all the roles uh, while we've been chatting and I think the, a good last question for me since you've already mentioned some really interesting big names is do you have like a fantasy dinner party of five people you'd like to get together? Do you know what? That's really tough as well actually. That's a really really tough question. Uh, right, let me try and think. I would probably choose my, Martin Freeman's my favourite actor ever. I love Martin Freeman so I'll go have him there. It makes me laugh. And I think he's really cool, so I like him. So Martin Freeman's in there. So that's one. Uh, Nelson Mandela, being half South African, I've got to put him in there. Mum's um, a massive fan of my dad did a lot of work for him. So Nelson Mandela's in there. Um, Dawn French, absolutely love Dawn French. She'd be hilarious. So Dawn French is in. Uh, Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin grew up around the corner from where my nan used to live. So... Uh, I was a big fan of Charlie Chaplin growing up because we'd always watch little uh, little films of it. And who else? Maybe Michael Caine. I'd have to say Michael Caine as well. Love Michael Caine. Again, he's Elephant Castle boy around the corner from where I grew up. You know, came from nothing. Just like Charlie Chaplin, they came from nothing. They were completely poor and, and they, you know, they've become two of the biggest symbols in, in, in the film industry. So, yeah, it's got to be there. So that's that would be my five. Sounds like good fun, <laughs> I'll be honest. Especially <laughs> so, with Dawn I'll French. Know, yeah, yeah, I think there might be a bit of cheekiness going on there, yeah. Bailey, thank you so much for chatting to us today and really looking forward to working with you more as the ambassador. And yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you, Charlotte. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline on 080 88 010 444. See you next month.